Welcome to the podcast of the Renew Community. We strive to be a Jesus community who cares about the things Jesus cares about. This podcast was recorded at our last gathering. Teaching like this is how we worship together every other week. We look to the scriptures seeking to become more like Christ. We're glad you're listening. First, thank you, Kelsey, um, for singing that song for us. Um, I asked Kelsey to sing that this morning um, because, honestly, it makes me really uncomfortable, the version of that song. (laughs) When I first played it for her, I almost couldn't sit through the whole thing. Um, I don't deal well with hard emotions, and um, I really love joy, so I think that might be why I'm up here talking to you today. But um, God's been teaching me a lot about a full range of emotions. And so that's what I want to kind of talk to you guys about today. Um, so this year's joy service has been a little different than last year. Um, last year we had confetti cannons, des- de- uh, dance party and cartwheels by Ben. Where's Ben? There he is. Are you up for that? I'm ready. If you're ready, you just let me know. Um, <laughs> so this year's a little different so far. I mean, the kids were awesome and, um, you know, singing about joy and we all love joy, but, um, God's taught me this year that, um, joy isn't all cartwheels and confetti. Um, and to really experience full true joy, we have to experience the sorrow too. Um, but I'll get to that. Um, so if you have your Bibles with you, could you open them, um, to John two, and we're going to start in verse one. I'm reading, uh, oh gosh, there's lots of papers here. I'm reading the ESV. Um, so if that's not your version, maybe close your eyes and listen. (laughs) Um, All right, I'll give you guys a second. And I'm going to breathe and take a sip of water. All right. Um, On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine, they did not know where it came from. Oh, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and the disciples believed in him. So a few months ago, Doug threw out the idea of me teaching for joy and throughout this passage as well, and I was a little unsure, thinking this is Advent, we should probably be talking about Jesus being born something like that. But um, as I dug into it deeper, um, I really found a lot of meaning about joy in this passage. Um, So John wrote this. It's out of his gospel. Um, He was one of Jesus' closest friends. Um, Other gospels tell us what Jesus did, but John really dives into who Jesus is. Um, He only records eight miracles. Um, Six of them are unique to this particular book. So other gospel writers didn't write about them. Um, And John doesn't write about any parables, which I thought was really interesting um, compared to Mark, who wrote 35 of them, recorded 35. So that, like, Mark must really like those parables. They must have, I don't know. (laughs) But um, John drew really close to Jesus, um, and Jesus gave him a deeper revelation of who he was, and I thought that was really aspirational. 
So diving into this story, it's really a simple story and it's one we've all probably known pretty well and grown up with and it's really easy to retell, which is one of the best parts about these stories is that they are easy to retell, but there is a lot more deeper into the story. So I'm gonna go by chunk by chunk and talk about each of the story in a little deeper. Um, so the first verse, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. So this first part on the third day, Jesus may have just been in the town for three days and that's interesting enough. But I think the reason John wrote this down was that in the retelling of this story, it would be a pointer towards Jesus's future three days at the cross. Um, so it would, it's kind of like foreshadowing or just a marker of someone who's maybe heard the bigger story of the cross. When he's telling of this first miracle, it's like a pointing to that. I'm sure there's a literary term for that, but I don't know what it is. Um, so they're in Cana and there's this wedding feast and Mary went. Um, she held, obviously held a special place at the wedding feast if she was able to give direction to the servants. And um, yeah, so some people think that um, it could have been John's wedding, which would have been interesting. Um, and that Mary was related to John's mom, so she was there. I don't know. It's all speculation. But um, it is interesting that she had the authority to tell the servants what to do. Um, Jesus and his disciples, moving on to verse two, uh, were invited to the banquet, but with so many guests in attendance, they ran out of wine. Um, so that's out of the Passion Translation, which I'll be mixing in because they say it in interesting ways too, like since said. <laughs> um, so this is the first of many stories suggesting that Jesus was um, not shy to a party and people invited him to a good time. He wasn't um, kind of this stoic figure that sometimes we get caught up in, someone always like keeping the rules or never sinning. So a good time is not sin. <laughs> um, but so he was, he was invited to the party. Um, although it may, it seems like it may have been a last minute invitation and that with this extra 13 people, they were running short on wine. Um, and moving on to verse three, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Um, in the passion translation, again, it says they have no wine. Can't you do something about it? Um, and this is not really good for a wedding feast of the time. Um, it would have been a big embarrassment for the couple and a shame for like that would have hung over them for the rest of their lives um, if their party was not good enough. It would almost be like that it was a curse on their wedding and their marriage if they, their party wasn't great. Um, for a Jewish feast, wine was essential. The ancient rabbis used to say without wine, there is no joy, which I kind of agree with. Um, <laughs> don't tell my parents that. <laughs> I'm 32 years old. I shouldn't really care what my parents think. But anyway. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Um, so Mary asked Jesus for help. But in some translations, she doesn't really ask. She just kind of says, there's no wine. And again, I don't know. Maybe I'm hung up with my parents. But that's like your parents looking at you and saying, like, your room's a mess. And, like, waiting for you to do something about it. Like, that's kind of how it felt to me, at least. Um... So she kind of says that to him and then waits to see what happens. And Jesus says, woman, this doesn't have to do with me. What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Um, and when I read that, woman comes off really harsh. Um, but that's a translation issue. That's not, he was being respectful to his mother. Um, the Passion Translation, again, um, says, um, uh, my dear one, instead of woman, which I think is more to the heart of what he's trying to say. He's a grown man and has probably grown into friendship with his mother as most um, people do as they grow up. And I think he respected her and she respected him. And I just think her asking was, 
like a sign of that they had talked about this. She obviously thought he could do it. Um, she knew who he was. Um, they probably talked about his aspirations. He's in his 30s now. Like, like, what are you going to do with your life? Like, when is this going to happen? She had to know something was good, coming with the prophecy she received when she was pregnant. And she was probably a little impatient and like told everyone this is a divine birth and like nothing's happened yet. Like <laughs> she wants the payoff of like, see, I wasn't lying. I was telling the truth. This was God's son. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, I think she's waiting for him to unveil himself. And I think that's um, exciting. And I like the honesty um, between this mother and son. And I don't know why Mary forged ahead after Jesus said, it's not my time. Um, but she did, and he did the miracle. So that's something I don't understand, and I haven't read anything to clear that up. <laughs> um, so moving on to verse 5. Mary said, um, or Mary went to the servers and told them, whatever Jesus tells you, make sure that you do it. So Mary's showing faith that she knows Jesus will do something. This feels a lot like when parents say, thank you for cleaning your room while there are still clothes on the floor. <laughs> um, Jesus' very first miracle wasn't planned. It was a response to human need. Uh, it wasn't healing. It didn't, like, I have a hard time putting this into words, but it feels meaningful to me that his first miracle recorded was to keep the party going, was to bring joy. It wasn't, like, and not that a healing wouldn't bring joy, and I don't have a tidy bow for all of this, but it just is something that stuck with me that his first miracle was to bring joy and keep the party going. Um, so, yeah. Um, moving on to verse six, there were six stone water pots standing nearby. They were meant to be used for Jewish, wa Jewish washing rituals. Each one held about 20 gallons or more. Jesus came to the servants and told them, fill the pots with water right to the very brim. And then he said, now fill your pitchers and take them to the master of ceremonies. So here Jesus uses what's available to make a miracle. I think that is interesting too. We don't like... We shouldn't be waiting for something miraculous to fall out of the sky. The miracle could be right around us um, because he can use anything. Um, he also could have filled the pots himself. He could have just filled everyone's wine glass. I don't, they probably didn't have wine glasses, but he probably could have just filled everybody's wine glass that was sitting around and have it never empty. He could have done something super miraculous, but he invited the servants in. And with their obedience, they shared in the blessing of the miracle, which I think is really interesting, too. Um, and these stone jars, this is kind of a side tangent, but I really liked it. So these stone jars that were filled um, with water for cleansing, which was really important to the law and the culture is being clean. Um, so from earlier in John, John chapter 1, verse 17, he says, uh, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so the water of the law that Moses brought has been changed into the wine of grace by Jesus. So it's, he, Jesus isn't replacing the law. He's turning in the whole thing into something better. That's back in my um, so the water represents the old order of Jewish law and custom, which Jesus was to be replaced, replacing with something better. Jesus turns the water into wine, and he makes a lot of wine. I tried to do the math on this. I am not great at math, um, but I tried to figure it out with calculator, and it came out to 908 bottles of wine. 908 bottles of wine, our size bottles. <laughs> just like, that's, he kept the party going for a long time. Like, that wasn't just like, let's keep it going until like, you know, midnight. This is like a 4 a.m. party. Not that I also know anything about that. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> 
So, like I said before, Jesus didn't really do much here. It was the servants who obeyed his directions. So that's a whole other message there. Obedience as the first step in miracles or obedience as the beginning of joy. I'm not going to go there because that's a little beyond my pay grade. Um, but I think that's really interesting. Um, so moving on to verse 8, he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, they did not know where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. So in humility, Jesus didn't tell anyone what he did. He did it in the background. Um, he did it so well that the wedding steward or the master of ceremonies had to ask where this good wine came from because it was so countercultural to serve the good wine last. Um, and he did it well because he is the son of a God who only does things well, who only does the best. Um, Jesus could not have made bad wine, I don't think, which is awesome. <laughs> um, so God can do no less than create the best. And same with Jesus playing pool in the back, um, here for a good time. <laughs> um, and so the best part of that is you and I are part of that best. We are created in his image, um, and he is a good creator, so we can rest and find joy in that. So also knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus as the source of abundance and joy makes one an insider or part of this special community. Um, and the servants were the first to know that. And I think that speaks as well to the order of the kingdom, that the first shall be last. And yeah, the last shall be first. Um, that Jesus revealed this power and glory to his, the servants at the wedding before the master of ceremonies, which would have been the culturally way to do it. Um, so this was the verse 11, the first sign Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and the disciples believed in him. So this is a quote by Henry Alford that I found on the internet. So... It might not be true, but it sounded good. Uh, <laughs> the first sign, this first sign manifested his glory. He showed his glory for the first time by making sure the party kept going. In this particular miracle, our Lord, in ministering to the fullness of human joy, shows more completely the glory of his incarnation than if he had ministered to human sorrow. Because under him and his kingdom, all sorrow, sorrow is but a means to joy. All sorrow ends in joy. And that, when I heard that, when I read it, um, it rung true to a verse um, out of Psalm 126. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joy. And that's a verse that's gotten me uh, through the past probably two years after um, going through postpartum depression after story. And that verse really just kept me moving forward to move through the pain to find joy. Um, throughout the scriptures, wine is symbolic of God's grace and our resultant joy. Unlike water, wine is unnecessary for life. Um, it is a picture of God's super abundant grace. That is to say, our Lord is the kind of God who gives, who loves to give good things to those who don't deserve them. Abundant gifts like wine to gladden, gladden the heart of man. That's out of Psalm 104. Well, just end. But anyway, <laughs> so that's the passage that Doug gave me. Thought was interesting. <laughs> um, so it's the third Sunday of Advent, like everybody said, and this is the Sunday we talk about joy. Um, I love joy. Joy is my um, natural habitat, I feel like. And I don't know if that's, well, I do know. I think it's supernaturally 
planted within me. Um, and yeah, I'm going to stick to my notes or I'm going to get out of bounds. Um, <laughs> um, it can be tough for some. And like, I think it's beautiful that everybody who's been up here this morning has talked about that. And not many of them have read what I'm talking about today. But I think joy can be hard when you're grieving. No matter your circumstances, joy can just be hard. Um, yeah. And so it does come naturally to me. And I think um, that also makes it a little hard to talk about. Um, I'm not sure how to impart joy to all of you other than to <clears throat> share what I think God has given me. Um, yeah, now I'm going off my notes and I'm, I don't know where I am. <laughs> but as I was praying and really asking God what he wanted me to share with all of you, um, I felt that since I am naturally bent towards joy, I'm here to give you all permission slip for joy. <laughs> um, and it doesn't look like a dance party this year and it doesn't look like confetti cannons, which I'm so sad about. But <laughs> um, I know that to feel the high of joy, you need to know the low of sorrow. Um, this beautiful contrast is why we had the kids sing their loud and exciting, very loud and exciting joy this morning and why I asked Kelsey to sing about a harder, more raw type of joy um, right before I came up here. Um, it's that contrast. That contrast is what's important. Um, a black and white photograph with no contrast is just shades of gray. You wouldn't see an image. Um, so to feel and feel the beautiful, the beauty comes from having contrast, having the low and the high. Um, yeah, so even more than just a permission slip for joy, this is a permission slip to feel all your feelings. Um, and the more I thought about it and prayed about it and tried to let it sink in, I didn't realize, I didn't think I had the authority to give you a permission slip, because who am I? Um, <laughs> but as I more I thought about it and more I thought about this passage, this is really Jesus's permission slip for joy, not mine. I'm just here to tell you about it. Um, so he came that we could have full, abundant lives. He didn't shy away from a good party. He didn't walk away when tempted or try. With the, or tried with the worst possible outcome. He wept, we know that, and I bet he laughed. He didn't bring 908 bottles of wine with no laughs. Um, and I bet he danced. I bet his body shook with grief and he felt all the feelings. And so we should feel all the feelings too. And his permission slip is because he came flesh. That, that's the permission slip. Because he was born as a baby and moved into the neighborhood. He moved into our neighborhood. He made friends. He brought the good wine to the party. He came, he lived and breathed. He died and resurrected so that we might have life and have it abundantly and have it to the full. He came so that it would be well with our souls. And that's where the joy comes from. Because our souls are well, and as in well, I mean in right standing with God because of Jesus' sacrifice, we should have joy. That's the joy that's planted in us is that right standing with our souls. Um, we should be joyful because we are rescued and free. We should have joy because he's coming again and we get to be with him forever. So I'm not saying that our lives will be happy. Like somebody said, happiness and joy aren't the same things. Um, we will feel and we will get to feel all the feelings because our souls are well. He didn't come so that we could live boring, bland lives. Following Jesus should never mean putting your emotions on the shelf. He didn't come so that we would wallow in our sorrows or, like I'm tempted to do, ride solely high on happiness. He came that we would be full and feel the full contrast of feeling so that we could see and experience the full, beautiful abundance of the lives he created for us. So this super abundant life 
is to be his signature on our lives. So that when people see us poured out, um, being joyful, loving, peaceful, hopeful, all those things, they'll ask, where did that wine come from? We are in the same way as the wine, created as the best. And when our souls are deeply rooted in our maker and creator, we reflect his good workmanship. We are not cheap wine. So this year and this time of Advent, let's live beautiful, joyful lives that he has for us. Because we are that good wine. And to be anything less would be just that. Yeah, so, I mean, there's lots of ways to be joyful, and I could tell you about them, and we could talk about that later, but it just feels um, not right for right now, because I just want you to really look inside and ask if your soul is well, and if it is connected to our maker and creator, and that you are that water turned into good wine. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Renew Community. This in no way should replace the formation within a community of Jesus followers. If you are looking for a church, would like more information about Renew, or would like to give financially to this ministry, check out our website at renewcommunity.org.